0: Hello, and welcome to Are We Nearly There Yet? I'm Professor Andrew Sherry, and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: I passed my chemistry a level, but it wasn't good enough. What a disaster! Whoa! There was tears and all sorts.
0: Before we start, I should admit that this episode is actually the first podcast I ever recorded. I mean, I'm still learning the tips and the tricks, but back in mid-April, I was completely at sea. So the quality of the recording is not what it might have been, but the quality of the conversation is stunning. Today I'm talking with Lindsay Edmiston, one of the National Nuclear Laboratory's business leaders and the Head of Capability in the area of waste management and decommissioning. Lindsay lives in West Cumbria with her husband, Mark, and their two children, Lauren and Robert. Lindsay, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you for uh, inviting me to take part in this, Andrew. It's uh, been quite, quite good fun, actually.
0: Well, I hope so, and I hope <laughs> it's fun for anybody listening as well. <laughs> Tell us about your, your PhD, and, and you spent some time in Karlsruhe as part of that.
1: I, I, I did. I, I'm actually a failed pharmacist, Andrew. I, I wanted to go to university, to study pharmacy, is what I applied to do. And I didn't get the right grades in chemistry. I didn't, I didn't, I passed my chemistry A level but it wasn't good enough. What a disaster! Whoa! There was tears and all sorts. However, um, I was phoned up about two days after the results came out and I was offered a place to study, of all things, chemistry. At the um, University of Wales Institute of Science and Technology in Cardiff. So Cardiff was one of the universities I'd applied to do pharmacy at, and obviously my name was on their list. So off I went to do chemistry. And as you've already said, I made quite a success of that and actually achieved a first-class honours degree. So my chemistry can't have been that bad
0: after all. <laughs> That's
1: right. <laughs> um, But as part of that degree, it was an industrial degree. And as part of that degree, we did a a year's placement out in in industry. And at the time, the university had a number of given placements that it used on a routine basis. One of them was in Karlsruhe. So I was lucky enough to grab that place. And I went out to Karlsruhe for a year to work um, at the Institute of Genetics and Toxicology, working on the speciation of plutonium. Right. Uh, in the gastrointestinal tract. Now I had such a good time um, and didn't want to come home <laughs> but I, have to, I had to do because I did a degree to finish yes. um, but I did have a good time. I thoroughly enjoyed the science, enjoyed the the place I was working in um, enjoyed living in Germany for that year that I actually was given the opportunity to do a degree Uh, do a PhD in Karlsruhe that was actually sponsored by the University of Wales so my my PhD was awarded by the University of Wales but I studied for the four years in Germany at the institute so my supervisor would come over from Wales would come and see me every six months or so and uh, I had a supervisor over there who happened to be English as well so I had a a fantastic four years working over there and made some very good friends that we.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic, uh, and, and by, by so, so you sort of stepped outside your comfort zone in a way, I guess, moving from South Wales to Karlsruhe. I guess you must have been good at languages, but you must have learned a lot about
1: yourself as well. I, I I didn't speak a word of German when I went, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I learned, and by Christmas I was reasonably fluent. So yes, you know, sort just you you pick it, but if you're surrounded by it, and I guess the. What, what you learn about yourself is actually you have to give it a go. Mm. I could have spent all my time with English-speaking people, and I spent a lot of time with them. Yeah, but I made yeah. myself go and live with Germans. I made myself go and engage with the German community. Because actually, if you don't do that, you don't get the best out of the opportunity. You've you no. got to immerse yourself in the surroundings. And I think, I mean, one of the loneliest experiences I had was sitting on a bus and not understanding what the line what was being talked around me it was like but you get yeah. on with it and you just do it and it's
0: yeah you know. it's surprising sometimes what you you are actually capable of and if you don't put yourself in those situations you, you don't find out do you will you
1: find out no you, you've got to give it a go and you've got to it was I mean it, from at one point it was a relatively safe environment it was you know I had good contacts back to my home university mm. um, by that time we'd built up friendship groups in Germany so I had networks but you build those net you understand what you need you mm. build those networks around you and if you engage with the local people yes that you know and some of them I'm still friends with but you do have to just put yourself out there and take the opportunity.
0: That's that's really interesting. Um, So then, so then you finished your PhD and you came back doing yes, started work at at BNFL. Is that uh...
1: yes? I was at, but again, it was a different scheme. So I obviously I needed a job. I was at that age where you can have a job, and I applied applied for a thing called the Teaching Company Scheme. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a two-year programme. I was actually employed by the University of Lancaster, but I worked at Sellafield, I worked at BNFL. So again, it was a hybrid, again it was a um, it was a joint program, mm-hmm. and it was about technology transfer, it was about the university had some work that was would have been of benefit to the, the low-level repository at the time mm-hmm. about this um, how. It linked what I've been doing in my PhD on speciation to how radionuclides flow through the groundwater.
0: Okay, yes.
1: Speciation of groundwater? Yes. So that speciation of, of groundwater was it did link to what I've been doing in my PhD. So it was a good segue. So by working with the University of Lancaster, I was transferring some of their technology into BNFL. So yes bit like what we do now it's that taking technology across the valley of death you know getting it on the trl levels it's moving it into industry mm-hmm. so that was in essence a, a two-year interview you know it was a two-year come and explore what what working in industry is like what working at NFL was like and mm-hmm. if i'm perfectly honest i don't think i expected to be in cumbria for no more than years you know no. um but you know as you said i'm married to mark i met mark and right that um, I would apply for a full-time job at BNFL so after the two years and at that point I think at that point you know what, what do I know about myself at that point I was enjoying the research I was enjoying being a research scientist yeah but I think what was starting to come out was actually I was enjoying the the, the the direction of the research, but I wanted to know a bit more about the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know a bit more about this nuclear industry thing I was in. Yeah. Yes, I was tracking groundwater, but why were there radionuclides in the ground? Where'd they come from? What 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 was that all about?
0: Yes. So yes. it was
1: understanding that bigger picture was starting to be
0: That's interesting because often there's there's a choice people have, isn't it? To to be very narrow in their their focus of their role and therefore get very sort of narrow and deep as it were in, a, in a yeah. understanding or what they do or to have a broader perspective and understand the context and i guess you were finding that actually you could do the deep technical yes. work because that's yeah. what you were doing but you got a more interest in, in understanding the context and the, the wider perspective
1: broader and, and how things were working in my organization yeah. and how i could help improve the working environment that i had as well you know make how, how we were doing more efficient better how we could bring te- new technologies in i mean i will tell you a very funny story and that is i i bought the very first computer on my project. that project i was working with, the very first microsoft computer on the cellarfield site
0: Did you really?
1: i went i went to cellarfield and i said i the per- purchasing department i want this dell computer Yes, it was a compact, it was a compact <laughs> running Microsoft, and they went, No way, we do display right for. <laughs> <laughs> but you made it happen, I made it happen, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Very and, good. and then I worked with Tim Tinsley to get the first network in the site as well. Oh,
0: well done, wow, really pioneering <laughs> technology <laughs> and the tools of the trade as well. so So, at that time. Uh, and, 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 and as your career sort of developed then, who were the sort of biggest influences on you? Who who were the people who you learned things from, uh, who shaped your thinking and, and, and helped you on, on that sort of journey?
1: I think there were probably three people that really stand out. I mean, obviously, there were the people I was working with and still do work with. Mm. But there, there were really three people, I think, that stand out. One, one was a gentleman called Andrew Jeeps. Mm-hmm. Um, who was a, a fabulous scientist, a great pragmatist, and um, he was very good at understanding what the next bits of work could be done, where they came from, yeah. and how the research should move on, and he was very good at understanding what the customer wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we were operating quite in that sort of world at the time but he could see what the customer wanted and how to turn that into research. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had a very big impact on, on how my life at that point and how my career progressed at that moment in time. Yes. I, I think from the next two people that stand out were Graham Fairhall and Sue Ian. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I went to a global conference in Versailles. Probably it was about 1996, 1995. So I've been working for about three years at BNFL. And I went to a conference, and it's about being in the right place at the right time, really. And Sue was Director of Technology uh, for BNFL, and she was looking for her next special assistant. Mm-hmm. And I just happened to get into a conversation with her and her current special assistant and managed to achieve that role and secure that position for three yes. year.
0: And that must have given you a, a very different perspective on life at BNFL, and inside and outside, actually.
1: Uh, totally and utterly different. Um, it was, um, I was doing that job around the fast forward, pro- well was a fast forward, it was beyond 2000 we were looking at, oh, yeah. we had, I had a new new chief executive, so it was know one of Sue's job at that point was to educate him, mm-hmm. and bring him up to speed, so I did a lot of that work, um, the company was changing, so there was a lot of work going on around reorganisation, restructure, it was about the time that R&T was forming, and bringing the Springfields organization and the Sellafields organization together so that was that was all a big change and to to be in the middle of all of that was was actually starting again to change my direction from being a pure scientist to yeah. be more involved in the management of organization mm. um understanding how change worked and how and, and also perhaps driving me to more to see that i wanted to be working more with people and in that role of managing people and working with people more than perhaps I've done previously.
0: And how did you feel about um, having been, you know, a scientist, industrial chemist and and had a really, you know, successful technical career, getting a bit more interested in the broader context, then all of a sudden these other areas opened up. Were you worried about losing, you know, your science and technology or were you more interested in as you say, moving into these other areas of management and people and things?
1: I, I think it was a recognition that, there is that nervousness for making the change, but I think there's that recognition that you you can't quite do both, but you you can nurture both and you can have that understanding. You've still got that understanding and knowledge because okay. without that, you can't do the management, I don't think. You, no. know, you, you do have to have the understanding of the science to be able to do the management of it. For me, and particularly when I took the springboard on in my next role, having done that one year with Sue, I again had a great opportunity, it was with Graham Fairhall, a great opportunity. And that was our first account director role. Mm -hmm. And that's when I worked with between BNFL engineering and the science community. And that was about working with the engineering community and their um, sales team as they were going around the world looking for new business. What mm. the R&D that would be needed to underpin that, that yeah. we could then deliver? Yes. Um, so whilst I was, yes, moving away from the science, I was still using it and I was still engaged with it. And I still had that understanding and it was still giving me that breadth that I was looking for, that broad, yeah. what I was looking for.
0: And it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because when you start your career, you very much are sort of given a project to do and you work at it and you you know develop new understanding or you transfer technology in but there comes a point where you have to start thinking about what is the R and D that is going to be needed and you start to define the work not just do the work and that's a transition isn't
1: it it, it is it is and i mean that that's what that's what andrew jeeps you know when i was in awe of andrew that he could do that and it is a transition you know when you start your career you're right you're given that project But then as you progress, it is that ability to be able to say, right, okay, right, we're gonna mold it and do it in this way. Mm. And and that's what I always used to admire in Andrew was his ability to do that. Yeah, and and for me, it was then taking it on the the way I stepped my career was was by doing that, but looking at customer projects. We were working with the BNFL engineering account directors was so there was one project we worked on, which was looking to get some new fuel into the Magnox reprocessing system, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't a direct route, you couldn't do it just by the normal routes, so it was having to work with them, and that's where you were starting to create the work programmes and say, well, actually, I know you do that all the time, but let's try doing it this way, and let's just make this minor modification, and then we can get a new fuel route. Yes,
0: yes, and you see those opportunities from a technical perspective, and then you can make it happen Happen. from a management perspective. So, as you look at your career, were there any, if you look back, were there any things you think you would do differently? Maybe forks in the road or things you might have wanted to put more emphasis on? Or or do you think that all the decisions along the way, I mean, the, you know, it's all worked out great, of course, you know, but what would you do differently if you had the chance? Do you
1: think? I, 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 I've put a bit of thought into that question because that, that question, I, sort of, I was thinking about it. What would I do differently? And I'm not sure I would do anything differently. I think what I would like to highlight, there was actually a really difficult decision I had to make. Yes. Actually making that difficult decision was hard at the time, but actually worked out for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was that's perhaps where, just dwell a little bit on that. Yes. Well, tell, tell me about that obviously you mentioned there's two children so that that involves two maternity breaks yes two time two times a year out of the organization the first time I opted to come back full-time and work full-time and that worked brilliantly the second time I decided I'd come back part-time but I wanted it all you know I wanted the the part-time working I wanted the position I wanted the job I wanted it was a very difficult decision to make and before I'd got on maternity leave we were talking about a particular step in my career that I would have been taking at that point I had to sort of put that on hold and accept that maybe you can't necessarily do everything if you're going to do everything right and and that you want to so I did have to when I came back from my second maternity leave actually just level my career off for a while
0: really
1: yeah just and and that was actually quite a hard decision to make to say right well okay I'm gonna do this so that I can bring my family up. And then as as my daughter got older and I could put more time into work, then I was able to kickstart my career again. But that that was tough watching other colleagues who had joined the company at the same time as me progress up. And and they they talk about the glass ceiling. I'm not convinced it was the glass ceiling. I think it's about actually yeah. you've got so much time and space to do so much, and you have to manage that. Yeah. So I don't know so much about a decision i would do differently i think it's just sometimes there are difficult decisions yeah. that you got to think about how you how you manage them and what's right for you in both your career and your family life as well yes
0: and i think that that's a really really good insight actually because you know people often feel like only one opportunity will come along and if i miss this one another one will never come perhaps having that longer term perspective where you do think about the balances in your life you know because it's not all about work is it you know um, uh, and doing the right thing at the right time but recognizing that other opportunities do come along and, and uh, you know whilst there might be a plateau you know things develop you know in, in different ways don't they
1: Different ways, exactly yes. Yes. yes yes yes
0: so so what do you think you've learned about yourself as a person you know we talked earlier about sort of who you are and what you're made to do and you go on this journey through your career and each each step of the journey you learn something about yourself you know and you challenge yourself as you've done what have you what other things have you learned about sort of who you are?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm quite organized i'm quite a... <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I can I also I like to be um, I like to know what's going on so I'm, I'm quite in, I like to be uh, controlled is that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I do like to know what you know what, what what's happening and and, and I, I also I, I like to bring things together and that's one of the things I'm, I'm quite good at is I do like to see how different strands are operating and I, I like mm. that process, I like that structure, I like that ability, I like to see how things knit together and work together. Yes. Um, and I think that is something I have learned, to, you know, that I can be quite um process focused or organizational focused. And that's that that can be a strength, it can be a weakness.
0: Sometimes mm-hmm. it
1: doesn't allow the some of the creative things to flow. But having that process mind does allow you to look at how work is being delivered how teams are operating yes um, and you can bring some structure and some organization to yeah, how you how your teams are delivering
0: that's right and, and that can
1: apply to
0: that can apply to people it can apply to technology it can apply to organizations yes having that structured sort of approach yes yeah yes yeah. i think i'm the opposite of that <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'll call it organised chaos with me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we need both. We need both. <laughs> oh, that's right. And I, I noticed um, on your CV that you're a member of the Soroptimist International. Tell that, us a little bit about that. I found that fascinating.
1: So Soroptimist International is um, it's an organisation. It, it's normally defined as a, a professional women's organisation. But it, it's really for, for women who want to help women. Lovely. Um, yes. So, so we, we work on local, national, and international projects. Some of the inter, so I belong to the Cockermouth Group. We are an international organization. We're one of the, I think, we're one of the only non governmental organizations to have a voice at the UN because ah. of the work that we do. Mm-hmm. The UN will commission us to do various projects. So we, we will lobby governments about things if we're not very happy. We will, we've done work in Africa looking at one of the big projects we did was Limbs for Life. So wow. a lot of the children that have been affected by war and have lost limbs, prosthetics mm. aesthetics they get are, need to grow with them, Yes. not if that costs money. So we, we worked with UNICEF on a project there. More locally in the Cockermouth area, we've done a lot of work with the Calvert Trust, which provides respite care for people with with disabilities mm-hmm. so support them.
0: It sounds like there's an awful awful lot of uh, fantastic stuff that you're getting involved.
1: It with. is it's it's, it's uh, I mean what's quite surprising is obviously where we are with the, the COVID-19 at the moment yes. uh, we, we're coming together to support the community in, yeah. in that arena you know and see how we can it, it just it brings together women with a, a a like-minded interest who who want to support women and girls in their in their education and the future
0: oh terrific well that, that's great and just thinking about your your your, your younger self maybe yeah. when you were uh, perhaps uh, just just got your a-level results and you, you weren't <laughs> quite sure what was going to happen i can identify with that which is another story what advice would you give your younger self do you think
1: you said it earlier there are opportunities out there um i i i think it's quite interesting i've I've obviously stayed within the bnfl family i haven't moved around Mm. um because actually i've had a rich and varied career i've done lots of different things in the company
0: yes um
1: so i think i I would advocate change i would advocate taking those opportunities yes um and having the confidence to see something come along and 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 grab it and take it because
0: Give
1: give it a go you know if I, if I think back to the professor, the doctor at university who said, you know, Lindsay, the placement we want you to offer you is in Karlsruhe in Germany. i would never even heard of Karlsruhe, you know, <laughs> and, and there I had four fabulous years and that then led me to, to where I am now. So I well, think it's definitely take those opportunities.
0: Yes, because you, you actually, you know, you don't know what you're capable of until you try <laughs> these things to you.
1: You don't. Some may not work out, and in which case you, you you say, right, okay, that's not for me. I'm going to walk on and do something different. Yep. Um, but until you give something a go, you're not going to know. And, and actually, the people around you want that job to be a success as well. So mm. you're very rarely on your own. People are there to support you and help you. And I think that's perhaps another piece of advice, is make sure you are asking for help. You are talking to people uh, and looking to see where you can help. Yes. Yeah.
0: Well That's really great advice, Lindsay. No. Thanks so much for ask, answering all those questions. No. I've so you know, open and honest and um, I've certainly learned something. So thank you very much. Well, thank
1: you very much. Thank you. That's been great.
0: Good. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.